Hi, I'm Irwin McManus. I want to welcome you to the Mosaic Podcast. I want to also bring you into some exciting things that are happening here. If you go to the Mosaic app, you will learn about our conference coming up this year, about MSC's new album and their tour across the country. And you can learn how to connect and be more involved in Mosaic in so many different ways. And by the way, we now have the Mosaic YouTube channel. And you can go access not only these talks, but other fresh and new materials that are being created specifically for that channel. And so if you want to be connected in a richer and fuller way, uh, not only be a part of the podcast, get to the Mosaic app and get to the channel, and we'll see you there. So for the past several weeks, we've been talking about life, about how to step into this, this experience that Jesus invites us into. And, and if there's anything I want you to capture out of this is that faith is not a moment. It's not simply a decision. And so oftentimes we, we put a focus on crossing that line of faith and inviting Jesus into your life. But that's just the beginning of good things. It's just the starting point. And then from there, there's life. And life doesn't come easy, doesn't come without struggle, doesn't come without learning. Maturity is not simply the product of time. Because you can live for a long time and remain immature. It's the same way with your faith. Faith is not just a product of how long you've believed or how long you've had faith or how long ago you crossed that line of faith and entrusted your life to Jesus. There's so much that is necessary to move into a depth of your own spirituality. And so, so oftentimes when I meet people who come to me and say, well, where do I, where do I go to, to go deep? It's rarely from a person who's brand new in their faith. It's so interesting to me. It's usually from someone who's had faith for a long time that faith has gone shallow. See, what I find so oftentimes is when you're new in your faith, you go deep fast. Because deep isn't about time. It's in many ways about passion. It's the same way with love. I mean, when did you really fall in love with the person that you love? I've had the joy of knowing Kim for over 35 years, and we've been married for 34 years. And and, and yeah, you can apply that. That's an... That is an epic gift to me and an epic achievement for her. <laughs> but, but I can say now that I love Kim deeply, but I can't say that I didn't love Kim from the beginning. I did love Kim. And when we made the decision to be married, I loved her with every fiber of my being. I loved her with everything I had at the time. But I have so much more than I had at the time. And I think that's one of the misunderstandings we have about love that we also have about spiritual depth. That as you grow in love, you actually grow in depth. And what I find so oftentimes is when a person's new in their faith, they're so grateful for their new life. They're so grateful for forgiveness. They're so grateful to be free that they dive deep. But what can happen is that if you're not careful... You end up just walking in the shallow water for so long, you think that's all there is. And Jesus wants you to live. He doesn't want you simply to exist. He doesn't want you to survive. He wants you to thrive in your life with him. But yeah, you ever, you ever just gotten frustrated with God because things are not working out the way you hoped? And that's really many ways what we've been focusing on because, because I, I think we misunderstand how it's supposed to look after we step into faith. 
And there's this moment in Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms, where this writer, this psalmist, this musician, this artist, this pre-Angelino, writes about his faith journey. And he writes so honestly that, that I think he expresses what so many of us feel but are afraid to say to God. So I want you to step into his journey with me. And I want you to realize that, that the struggle of faith is not a new struggle. It's something that has been real and true from the very beginning. Psalm 73, beginning in verse 1, says, God is truly good to Israel, to those who have pure hearts. But I had almost stopped believing this truth. I had almost lost my faith. I, I, I am so encouraged by the fact that in the scriptures, there's someone who just honestly says, I almost lost my faith. That, that what I experienced after my faith almost cost me my faith. And I think there's this interesting sort of contrast. He begins by, by declaring something that's true about God. God is good. And he's good to those who have pure hearts. And he says, in spite of that, I almost stopped believing this truth. See, a part of the huge challenge in life is to take a step forward in your understanding of who God is and then grappling with that in real life experience and meshing those two things together. Because you can go, God is good, but my life is bad. And how do you reconcile that? God is generous, but I'm hungry. How do you reconcile that? God is forgiving, but I feel so guilty. How do you reconcile that? But I had almost stopped believing this truth. I had almost lost my faith. I remember years ago, in a moment of just incredible honesty, I, Kim and I were taking this brief vacation. We don't do many of them. And we were it kind of in this pool, and I began sharing with her my own personal struggles of faith. My, my, my struggles with, with how does this whole thing play out in a world so full of, of pain and suffering and contradiction and and, and, I, and I felt myself, and strangely enough to say this, after 30 years of marriage, just peeling off layers of myself and, and risking opening myself to her at a level that I don't know I ever opened up to anyone. And, and in the middle of that, she got really nervous because she's used to me being sort of a solid. And I looked like a liquid. <laughs> and she said, what are you saying? You don't believe in Jesus anymore. And I said, this is why I can't share my struggles because it goes from you completely believe in Jesus to you don't believe in Jesus. Isn't there a middle? Isn't there a middle where I can say I completely believe and yet I'm completely in distress in my belief? I think we got to create that honest space where you go, I, I, I believe, but I, I, I doubt. And it's me. It's just all completely me. It's who I am. So what I want to talk to you about today is how to have clear eyes and full hearts. Because then you can't lose. <laughs> See, I, <laughs> I'm going to admit it. I'm a huge football fan. And I love that TV series, Friday Night Lights. Who would have known Michael B. Jordan would be coming out of there? See, there's a connection to Black Panther always. The whole universe comes back. And I, I actually lived in Texas. We lived in Texas for over a decade of our life, and I grew up playing football, and I understand that, that, that culture. So every time I say, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Man, I do not have athletes in this room. I've got all these artists going on. 
I don't know. It sounds kind of intense. So I don't care if you're right now in, in South Pasadena or in Hollywood or in Venice Beach or in Orange County. I want you to say this with me. Clear eyes. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Full hearts. Can't lose. I'm going to hope that before we finish, you actually believe that. Because what I found is that the can't lose is connected to the full hearts. And the full hearts is connected to the clear eyes. So I want you to watch with me Asaph's eyes. Because they don't start clear. But they move to clarity. I had almost stopped believing this. I had almost lost my faith. Why? It says, because I was jealous of proud people. Verse 3. Isn't that honest? We usually say, ah, I just don't like proud people. I don't like arrogant people. It's like I was jealous of arrogant people. Why? He said, I saw wicked people doing well. You ever try to be good and being good isn't working out for you as good as being bad? No one ever talks about that, right? They always say, be good. It's going to go good. No one tells you the truth. A lot of times when you're trying to be good, it's like running a race with an anchor tied around your neck. Because bad people don't have to worry about being good. They can break every rule, violate every code. They can get to the finish line faster than you because you're cutting across outside of the lanes. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought being good gets me there first. No! Being good gets you there good. <laughs> and the bad's going to be waiting for you there going, that was stupid. So I'm going to be straight up. You're giving yourself a huge disadvantage if you decide to live right. Huge disadvantage. You don't get to break all the rules like everyone does. Except the ones that need to be broken, just by the way. Throw that in there. Because this is why I lost my clear eyes. This is why my heart became empty. This is why I felt as if I was losing. Because I was jealous of proud people. I want you to listen to the pronouns. Here, I, I, me, me. I was, I was jealous of proud people. I saw wicked people doing well. And then he shifts. Here's the, or the pronoun begins to reveal itself. Listen to the they, they, them, them. You can't have clear eyes when you're looking out. Wow. He says, they are not suffering. They are healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like the rest of us. They don't have problems like other people. So they wear pride like a necklace. They put on violence as their clothing. They are looking for profits, and they're getting them. They do not control their selfish desires. They get whatever they want. They're not even hiding. You ever try to hide the bad part of you because you're trying to be good? It takes so much energy to hide the bad part of you trying to be good. It takes so much energy trying to suppress the bad part of you when you're trying to be good. They're not spending any energy trying to be good. They're just trying to be bad. They they don't have troubles like the rest of us. They don't have problems like other people. They wear pride as their necklace. They put on violence as their clothing. They're looking for profits and getting them. They do not control their selfish desires. They make fun of other people. They're making fun of me. And they speak evil. Proudly they speak of hurting others. They brag to the heavens. They brag to the sky. their, Their mouths gossip on earth. Wow. 
So their people turn to them and give them whatever they want. They say, how can God know? Does the most God, high God know? These people are wicked, always at ease and getting richer. And he says, so why have I kept my heart pure? See, you, you lose your clarity when you begin to focus on others. And, and, and I think a part of the, the faith journey is thinking that once you have Jesus, you have this huge advantage, and so you're always going to win against people who don't have Jesus. Had you been in the real world yet? <laughs> See, actually, sometimes carrying Jesus is like carrying a weight in a race that goes to the swiftest. And if you're not careful, you'll become so bitter and angry against God because you thought God was always going to leverage you up. I wonder how much of your joy, how much of your happiness, how much of your fulfillment, how much of your satisfaction in life is being stolen because you're comparing yourself to others, looking at others and wondering, why doesn't God do something with them? Have you ever just wanted God to show up and punish everyone? (laughs) You know, it's so funny. We all act like we want God to love everybody. We don't. You want God to love you. You want God to be merciful to you. You, you, you want God to make you the exception. Because you don't really want God to give you what you deserve, do you? I just want what I deserve. No, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want what you deserve. You want what you want. You don't, we want everyone else to get what they deserve. You ever, you ever, you know, we, I hear people talk about like other religions and other nations and we go to war. Man, we're just like celebrating. I've seen people applaud when someone on the other side gets assassinated or killed. Like, where does that come from? We, we want God to bring justice and wrath on everyone who's against us. We just don't want it on us. And so he's actually mad that God's not stopping bad people from having a good time. But he's really mad because he feels like he's at a disadvantage now. See, I, I felt that, haven't you? Do you realize that once you have a relationship with Jesus, people start holding you to a different standard? And, and people will judge you for what they're doing, but they're, saying, they're not saying they believe in God. And, and, and so there's a, this is huge dilemma. But what I think is fascinating is Asaph lived during the time of King David, and he was the chief of all the psalmists. In other words, he was the worship leader in David's kingdom. And of all the worship leaders, he was the one that was entrusted with the heart of God's people. He was to make sure he was always connected to God. In fact, he experienced the presence of God at such an extraordinary level. There were times that they literally could not stand in the moment because God was so rich in their presence. Can you imagine having that kind of experience with God and yet still envying and being jealous of what people have because they don't have God? And so he goes on. And, he, and, he, and, and by the way, they say, how can God know? In other words, they're saying, look, I'm living my life the way I want and God's not doing anything about it. And, and here's the crazy thing. If you don't believe in God and you think the reason there's no God is that you're getting away with it, is it possible that God is less concerned with your actions than he's actually concerned with you? 
And the reason God is letting you get away with it is he's trying to let you get to the end of yourself where you realize that all the stuff in this world isn't enough. So then he goes on to say, so why have I kept my heart pure? Why have I kept my hands from doing wrong? Now listen to how the pronouns shift. He goes from they, 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 because he's looking out. And if you're looking out, you're not going to have clear eyes. If you live a life of envy, you're not going to have clear eyes. If you live your life wanting what everyone else has, you're not going to have clear eyes. If, if you live your life being jealous of other people's success, of other people's wealth, of other people's fame, of other people's celebrity, you're not going to have clear eyes. You're going to be walking blind. Because as long as you're looking at other people, you're walking blind and you cannot see your future. He goes from looking out to looking in. Why have I kept my hands from doing wrong? I have suffered all day long. I have been punished every morning. God, if I had decided to talk about this, I would have let down all of your people. I tried to understand all this, but it was too hard for me. I think it's interesting what Asaph says, I have been punished every morning. You know what Asaph's job was every morning? His job every morning was to enter into the presence of God. That was his job every morning. His job every day was to enter the presence of God and to posture his heart toward God and to give praise and thanks to God. To actually create and sing songs of worship to God. And to guide the entire nation... To a pasture where they trusted in God and not in kings or in armies or in wealth or power. So he says, I've been punished every morning. You know what his punishment was every morning? He got to live in the presence of God. You you know what's crazy? The greatest gift that God can give you will feel like a curse if you want the wrong things. Because... Let me tell you, there's nothing that you can receive in this life that's more beautiful, more profound, more powerful, more viable than being allowed to have access to the creator of the universe, to live in intimacy with him. But if you're trying to bring all your baggage into that moment, hold on to everything that you want outside of God, God begins to make the room uncomfortable. You, 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 ever, you ever been in a room that you shouldn't have been in with the wrong person? You know, I, one moment like that, when I was in high school, I was in, in dating transition. You know, you know what dating transition is? You know, I, I had a girlfriend and I kind of had a girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I dated this girl and we broke up. But you know how breaking up is sometimes like fluid? You know what I'm talking about? You're on, off, on, off. And then there was like this other girl. And I was just starting to date her, but that was like a fluid start too. And so I ended up with this date with, with two different girls on the same night in the same restaurant. It was so tricky. And it ruined both of them. I, you don't walk out with one of the girls when you're walking with two. And if you try to live your life wanting everything in this world and wanting God, you walk out with neither. Because your heart is torn between two. And you don't love anything except yourself. And so he says, I have suffered all day long. I've been punished every morning. God, if I had decided to talk like this, I would have let everybody down. 
When I tried to understand all this, it was too hard for me. And, and, and you might be there, and this is where you're in danger of losing your faith. This is when you're in danger of slipping back and slipping away, is when you just can't make sense of life. And I'm telling you, you're going to have moments in your life where you just will not be able to make sense of your life. And, and all the faith in the world will not fill in the blanks. I think this is where sometimes we get confused between faith and religion. Religion tries to pretend it has all the answers to life's problems. We're afraid of the empty blanks. But faith understands that there are an endless number of empty blanks in life. There's some things in your life you're just never going to understand. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to make sense with God. It's not going to make sense without God. And that's why you have to understand that faith is not connected to what God does. Your faith has to be connected to who God is. Because you will never fully understand what God is doing and what's happening in life all around you. But if you can know who God is, that anchors your faith and allows you to move through with clear eyes and full hearts. And then you can't lose. And that's why... And that's why Asaph begins by saying, I know God's good, but life can be bad. I know God is good, but sometimes I can't make sense of the good he's doing. I know God's good, but he seems to, to allow so much bad to happen. And, and, and it causes me to start looking at what everyone else has and I want it. And it starts making me look inside of me everything I don't have. And I move from envy to bitterness. I was thinking this morning, I was telling Kim, I said, do you, do you know why bitter people stay bitter? It's because they never let God create a new future for them. Yeah, you, you ever had a conflict with someone and, and you moved on? You forgave them, you forgave yourself, but they couldn't forgive you or forgive themselves? Have you ever had someone who just years later is still angry at you? Anyone? Or have you ever stayed angry with someone? If you're bitter towards someone, let me tell you what's happened. In fact, you know what makes a bitter person angrier? When the other person has moved on. Yeah. Nothing will make you angrier than the person you are bitter against actually enjoying life. How dare they enjoy their life? I'm trying to hold them captive to this moment where they hurt me, wounded me, betrayed me, made me mad. The only way you can stay bitter is surrendering your future. So if you're here and you are holding on to bitterness, let me tell you what you've let go of. Your future. Because bitterness demands that you live in the past. Forgiveness is what frees you to create a new future. <laughs> he says, so why have I kept my heart pure? Why have I... I kept my hands from doing wrong. I'm going to tell you, there are going to be days in your life going, is this really worth it? You're going to face those moments. Because you're going to lose some things you want. If you choose the life God created you to live. Then he says, that when I tried to understand all this, it was too hard for me to see. He did not have clear eyes. But then verse 17 changes everything. Until... I entered the temple of God until I went to the temple of God. Then I understood what will happen to them. Now, here's the curious thing. 
Asaph lived during the time of David, wrote this during the time of David. He wrote this when he was under David. But David never built the temple. His son Solomon built the temple. So he wasn't talking about entering the building. He was talking about entering the presence. See, what what I love about even being the church is that we become the church before there's ever a building you call the church. And he says, I, until I enter the presence, the, the sanctuary, the temple of God, then I enter what will happen to them. And, and it gets a little dark. He says, you have put them in danger. You caused them to be destroyed. They are destroyed in a moment. They're swept away by terrors. It will be like waking from a dream when they come. Lord, when, when you come, they will disappear. What he's saying is that I don't want to be caught into the illusion of life among those that are existing. See, when you're drawn in to what this life offers without God, when you're drawn in believing that fame or wealth or success or power or pleasure will actually fulfill your soul, you've bought into the lie, you have stepped into the mirage, you think you're drinking water, but you're eating sand. He says... It's when I entered into God's presence, then I began to see clearly. Because I went from looking out to looking in to looking up. He goes on to say in verse 21, when my, when my heart was sad and I was angry, I love, the, I love what he says, I was senseless and stupid. Wow, I see my stupidity now that I thought that people without you were actually fully alive. They're just existing, struggling I acted like an animal towards you, God, but I am always with you. You have held my hand. You guide me with your advice, and later you will receive me in honor. I love verse 25. I have no one in heaven but you. I want nothing on earth besides you. See, people ask me, and why don't you talk a lot about heaven? I go, it's because it's, I have so little experience. And, uh, but I realize it's not true. Sometimes I realize I've been saying the wrong thing. See, I, and a part of it is that when, when I came to faith, I was taught that there's earth and then there's heaven, right? And you're here on earth and you die and you go to heaven. But that's actually not the way the scriptures talk about it. See, the whole journey of your intimacy with God is actually invoking heaven on earth. It is about experiencing this transcendence. Now he says, I have no one in heaven but you. You know what he's actually saying? I'm not going to heaven for angels. I'm not going to heaven for streets of gold. I'm not going to heaven because of all these things I think heaven has. Because all heaven really is, is you. And if, let's just take this through all the way. If what heaven is, is God is living in the fullness of his beauty and wonder, of stepping into his presence and inhaling life fully. Then why can't you have it now? Why wait? I have no one in heaven but you. Then he says, and I want nothing on earth besides you. He said, I want the same experience on earth that I would have in heaven. That your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God's will can be done on earth as it is in heaven, then why can't God's presence be experienced on earth 
as it is in heaven. And then why can't heaven be experienced on earth? Why should we wait to experience what we've been waiting for when it's waiting for us? Man, you guys should have broken out in crazy applause right there. (laughs) He says, my mind and my body may become weak, but God is my strength. He is mine forever. Those who are far from God will die. You destroy those who are unfaithful, but I am close to God, and that is good. The Lord God is my protection. I will tell of all you've done. There's this one little phrase that's interesting when he says, God, you are my portion. You are my strength. That, that imagery is that, of that, that small cup that would just have the, the morsel of food that a person needed to be able to live. And we sang as God, you are my food. You are my life. You are my source. You are my strength. You want to have clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. You want to make that the declaration of your life and stop looking out at others and envying what everyone else has and the life they have and try to figure out why God lets that happen. Is it possible God's letting it happen so that everyone can come to the end of themselves and know what they need is the life that he gives? But he's so loving. We want God to slap everybody down, but he doesn't. We want God to show everybody they're wrong, but he doesn't. He just lets us take our own journey to the very end of ourselves so we finally go, God, I've gotten everything this world has to offer and I'm still empty. And I know now I need you. Don't envy someone because their dead end is further down the road than yours was. And then stop looking in. Stop living in the spiritual pity party of God. Look, everything I've given up for you I look at everything I've let go of for you. Really? Everything you let go of for God was going to eat you up alive and leave you lifeless. And he goes, oh, but God, you are my strength. You are my life. You are mine forever. I have no one on earth but you. I want nothing on earth besides you. This reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where the writer writes these words, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Clear eyes. Stop looking out. Stop looking in. Start looking out. Clear eyes. Don't let this moment steal from you its joy. Clear eyes. Don't let the problems or the struggles or the crisis or the challenges right in front of you blind you to a future filled with wonder and beauty, with opportunity and possibility. Clear eyes. Don't let your temporary failure steal from you your great great success. Clear eyes. Don't let the defeat that is crushing you right now to rob you from the victory that is waiting for you in tomorrow. Clear eyes. I'm not fully sure how to explain it, but when you set your eyes on Jesus, when you say, Jesus, you are my life, I'm going to trust you with everything, you go from clear eyes to full hearts. 
Because when he becomes your love, when he becomes your fire, you say, whom have I in heaven but you? And being with you, I desire nothing on earth. What you're saying is, God, you are my life. You are my love. Jesus didn't come to be supplemental in your life. He didn't come to be the paramedic that keeps saving you out of the crises of your life. He came to bring you to life. When you move from looking out to looking in, God, why don't I have everything I want? God, why is my life so hard? God, why me? Why me? And start looking up and going, oh God, why me? Why would you choose me? Why would you love me like this? I want you to know that every moment of your life, God is waiting for you to see him, to trust him, to follow him. And when you begin to live your life in such a way where he becomes your daily bread, he becomes your portion your strength. Asaph had one job, enter into the presence of God, worship him, give him thanks, praise him, allow his love to change him. And even Asaph, who day after day after day entered the presence of God, had that moment where he felt it all slipping away. But you know what's beautiful? When you live in intimacy with a God who loves you, no matter what you face, he holds on to you. And when you're slipping away, he holds you close and brings you in. When I was a little boy living in El Salvador, me and my brother were taking a walk down the street, and we were with my uncle Richard and my aunt Linda. And in El Salvador, you know, it's, it's a wild country, filled with jungle, and we would just see all kinds of wildlife. And one day, I don't know if you've ever seen an animal you'd never seen before in your life. This animal was, was one of those low-to-the-ground creatures with four legs. It was coming at us at full speed, making a sound I'd never heard, so deep and terrifying. You ever been paralyzed with fear? I, I, I mean, I was probably four or five years old. I was paralyzed with fear. And, and I looked at my brother, and, and he took off and started running. But I was so afraid I couldn't move. So my Uncle Richard, who was so strong, he picked me up and held me in his arms. And I felt safe, even though, like, we could have both been killed. But, you know, you know it's like, but I felt safe because I was in his arms. But what happened was my Aunt Linda was next to Alex. And, and he looked at Uncle Richard. I was there, and I'm not giving up that spot. And, uh, and he looked at Aunt Linda, and she, I remember her, her saying in Spanish, I, I can't pick you up. You're, you're too heavy. You're too big. And that's when he took off running. Because he didn't have anyone who could pick him up. And I, I saw this thing coming at us, and my brother started running. It changed his focus from us to him, and it caught him from behind. And I, when I came to the States, I learned that that creature was called a, a basset hound. And, uh, <laughs> low to the ground, dangerous. And, uh, and that basset hound cut my brother and bit him right in the butt. And, uh, See, you don't know when the danger's coming. But let me tell you, it's not a little basset hound that's coming up. The scripture says that the evil one is like a roaring lion waiting to devour, steal your life from you. And just like in that moment, I didn't know it was coming, but because I was walking with my Uncle Richard, he just picked me up. 
Let me tell you, what happens so oftentimes is that we drift so far away from God that when the crisis comes, we blame God and say, God, where were you? And the question isn't where was God, but where were we? But see, when you walk in intimacy with Jesus, when you stay close to him, when that moment of danger, that moment of crisis, that moment of, of challenge comes, you're right there already. You don't have to run to God. You just look up because he's already there. And you just let him pick you up in his arms. And you know you're safe in his strength. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received. Allow it to go deeply into your soul. To allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic. To go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation. To become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.